Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. We got a jam-packed episode for you. If you're looking for the tight ends, if you're looking for the offensive tackles, if you're looking for the offensive guards, the centers in this class, then this is the episode for you. Michael Rockman here joined by Nick Durst. Nick, how are you on this wonderful Friday evening? Doing well. Uh, you know, Lots of stuff going on here as we're getting close to the draft. I saw a rumor that apparently... The 49ers were trying to get Sam Darnold, but the Jets said no. I don't know. I think the Jets kind of foolish there. Uh, and then, you know, we started Jadavion Clowney. He gets signed by the Browns, who then just released Sheldon Richardson. Might be the end of Sheldon Richardson's career. We shall see. Uh, and you also had that big Trevor Lawrence uh, expose or uh, article come out in Sports Illustrated, Michael, and Basically, Lawrence said, I don't have anything to prove. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. And to me, I'm okay with that because he doesn't really have a chip on his shoulder. He's got to just come in and keep doing what he's doing. Uh, I don't think he needs to really have this us against the world, me against the world mentality. Like everyone's out to get me because, quite honestly, no one's out to get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, a lot of people want to see this guy succeed. You would think he's going to succeed. And we'll just have to see what happens here. Uh, and the other, and you know, speaking of uh, Zach Wilson, our buddy Chris Sims, he's at it again. He said he would he would pick Zach Wilson over his Trevor Lawrence in this year's NFL draft. So you know, you know, he's uh, you know, he's always opinionated. So we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Justin Fields had his second pro day. Josh McDaniels was there, so there's been a lot of rumors that the Patriots might try to maybe trade up take that Cowboys pick and get Justin Fields. We'll see what happens there. And the Arizona Cardinals signed James Connors, uh, signed James Connor to a deal for $1.75 million. And the other big news is that uh, looks like there's not going to be any OTAs. A lot of teams are, or their players are opting out, claiming COVID concerns. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, the play is the season. You know, we'll have the two preseason games or three preseason games, and then it's right into the 17-game season. 
could be interesting. Uh, and, you know, we mentioned the breaking news in our last show, which was Julian Edelman retired, put out a nice little video. And Tom Brady said, on the biggest stage and in the biggest moments, you always came through. You never lost that chip on your shoulder. And you never let anyone define you as a person or a player. So Edelman, of course, had a chip seven-round pick, switching positions as a wide receiver, whereas Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick at quarterback, so no chip on his shoulder. But a pretty wild week in the NFL, Michael, and things are going to just get crazier next week and, of course, draft week. Absolutely. And, you know, the clock is now ticking for many of these teams to finish up their final boards, figure out what they're going to decide on these final round grades, break any ties that may be happening in a war room if they're kind of saying, you know, we like both these guys. Which one do we really value higher? Really trying to put those final touches and finishing details on everything around this draft as they now prepare for really just kind of waiting and seeing what happens. And on that draft day fall, you know, we'll see what happens where maybe we see someone who was projected as a top 10 pick fall into the 20s. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Micah Parsons potentially not being viewed as highly by the NFL. And there's talks that maybe that he doesn't have the, you know, character that a lot of teams are looking for because of what happened with the off-field situation at Penn State. So there's plenty of question marks. And while us people who follow the draft would like to act as though we know everything that's going to go on. We really know little to nothing. So on draft day, that's when we finally get clarity. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we will see. And we're going to continue here. We've been doing looking at positions and Michael's been cranking away here, studying the film. And we're going to round out the offense today. Yes, sir. And we're going to start out at the tight end position And we're going to start from five and go up to one. You guys know how it is. At number five, we got Trey McKitty, the tight end out of Georgia. A very talented, athletic type of tight end, but really one that hasn't produced at a level that you really would like to see. Only played four games this season, so the stats aren't as bad as they may look. But that 9.4 yard percentage is still an issue. You know, you want to see more production, but the athleticism is there on tape, whether it was at his Florida State time or at Georgia. You could obviously see it. Obviously, you know, the usage, the injury concern, and just the fact that he's still unpolished as a tight end is going to make him a day three option. But I I really see like an Ed Dixon in his game. I think that's an athletic tight end too. And I think that's where Trey McKitty can work himself up to. You look at what he really offers to a team, and I think that there's plenty of locking ability that has been shown on tape. I don't think that is going to be his strong suit, but I do think that he's shown enough effort to where that's not going to hold teams back. He does well at adjusting to the ball, and overall, I really like his speed-to-strength profile. At tight end four, tight end four, we got Pat Firmuth out of Penn State. You really look at what these guys have to offer, and I think for Firmuth, he might be the best yards after catch tight end in this class. He's great off the release, and he catches in traffic pretty well, but there's still issues that I have for him. You know, he's not the best when dealing with physical coverage, trying to really get off and open in those situations. He's not the best at high-pointing passes either. He's not really the athlete to go up and get it. He's not going to be your red zone threat, really. And then, you know, there's the anchor issue as a blocker that I think could very much be developed. A lot of these these guys in this class aren't the best blockers, and really that's kind of why it's probably viewed as low as it is. There's some receiving guys, and there's some receiving upside, but there's not really – 
a great mix of overall well-rounded talent. And I think Fearmouth is just another name on that list that if you're looking for a receiving option, you're getting a good one in Pat Fearmouth, but I think there's definitely some issues that come along with it as well. At tight end three, I got Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, sorry. C2 grade. I think that he's someone that could be very well developed. He offers the blocking ability that I think is kind of coveted right now with the class that's lacking in it. He's a great run blocker. He gets real low, but he also has a very nice athletic frame. 6'3", 241 pounds, gets low, offers nice bend, but has great speed. He needs to improve as a receiver. He needs to improve his hands. But I think the overall athleticism has been shown to where I could see him being a very nice tight end too. I look at a team maybe like San Francisco that's looking for a, another tight end to pair with George Kittle. We've seen it with the trade rumors that they were talking about, Evan Ingram talking about you know, bringing in Jordan Reed or something. And I think that there's plenty of upside here to where the 49ers could look at a guy like Tommy Tremble and really try to develop him similar to how they developed George Kittle. At tight end two, I got Brevin Jordan out of Miami, Florida. The pro day was a little bit disappointing because I thought really he was going to test a lot better than he did, but still on tape, there's so much to love about him. 38 receptions over the year, 576 yards and seven touchdowns. At 6'3", 247 pounds, he's going to be a very intriguing athlete. Still offers very nice ability working deep. I wouldn't say he's going to burn anyone, but he does have a very nice ability to find cracks in the defense and escape downfield. He's a great route runner, and I think one of the most underrated parts about Brevin Jordan is he has a very wide set of shoulders that is going to help him in terms of boxing out defense and really just making contested catches overall. Now, the size isn't going to be this huge takeaway, 6'3", 247, obviously. It's not the biggest tight end in the league. I think it's good tight end two size, though. And I think he has the physicality and red zone appeal issues that will maybe drop him to that day two range. I look at a comparison, and I think of Fred Davis, a former Washington football team tight end, really was on track to have a very good career and then sort of had some things fall apart and – You know, I think for Brevin Jordan, if he can really stick on that track, he could be a very special tight end that really contributes in a lot of ways. And then a tight end one, the most talked about player probably of this class in terms of non-QBs, non-wide receivers, it's Kyle Pitts, 43 catches, 770 yards, 12 touchdowns. Look at the 64.2 catch percentage and 26 yardage percentage. An absolute dominant season for Kyle Pitts. Now, probably the most notable part of this is my grade form. Maybe a lot of people were expecting an A1 type grade because of all the athleticism that he has to offer. I think Kyle Pitts may not produce right out the gates like a lot of people are expecting for him. I think he's going to be a very talented tight end, and I think he's going to still have a good rookie season. But I think it's important to realize that tight ends usually have the most growing pain when it comes to entering the NFL. And I could see him just being a solid contributor to an offense with some nice games rather than having the superstar thousand yard season right out the gates. You know, looking at what he offers as a prospect, he has a great catch radius, obviously high pointing balls, making highlight catches all season. He's athletic. He can get release. He can find separation and he has great balance as well. I think there's still development that needs to be had in terms of his overall play strength, both as a blocker and just getting free from press coverage. And there's injury concerns that, are going to haunt him in this draft process. But Kyle Pitts is a superstar caliber tight end 
And if he lands in the right spot, he could be special. Nick, talking about this tight end class, obviously, you know, we're only listing five, but there's plenty of options in this class if you're looking for certain types. What are your overall takeaways of this tight end class? I know we'll drop your rankings after the show or at the end of the show, but what are your thoughts on just the overall quality of the class itself? It's, it's definitely good at the top. It's not like a huge, huge, uh, you know, death piece here. Uh, like it's not, you know, like 15 deep, like a lot of these positions sometimes are. Uh, Will Blackman says, where do you have Hunter Long? I have him in my top five, so we'll, we'll get to that at some point. I'm sure Michael has him not too far out. Uh, but it's really, you know, Pitts, Pitts everyone saying is the top the tight end prospect to come out. Uh, in a long time, so well, we shall see where he ends up. It's going to depend where he where he goes. Uh, but six foot six, he, he can move. Uh, very athletic, kind of like uh, Engram with the Giants, but um, he can actually catch the ball, Mister Pitts. So uh, he's got to grow as a blocker, though. Like you said, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the tight end position comes back here because now you're seeing all these like elite prospects going to college wanted to be wide receivers because you saw basically like Odell Beckham and all, and that type of generation of talent being like the big stars in the NFL. But we'll see if Belichick comes out here with the, the two tight end set again, and the tight ends are prominently featured and they, they pick up, you know, some big notoriety here might be seeing a lot of, uh, you know, kids, going into college saying, you know, maybe I, maybe I do want to play tight end and, and see what happens. So it'll be just to see what happens with tight ends here. But of course the big thing is that with tight ends, they have to block. So <laughs> a lot of these tight ends are not used to blocking. And that's why you really have to really appreciate the greatness of Rob Gronkowski because he is an elite blocker. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's one thing that you kind of talked about as well. Looking at the class really coming up in terms of what we've seen from prospects in the past, a lot of wide receivers are moved over to tight end once they kind of have played that wide receiver spot in college where they show enough just physically, and then they are asked to move into tight end, and they really take a lot of time growing. You look at Darren Waller, was a wide receiver at Georgia Tech, ended up becoming a very good tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders, but there's plenty of guys that have been asked to move over, whether it's from basketball, like Simi's Reyes, who just signed with the Washington football team as a prospect in this class, or the other options. You know, there's there's definitely some talks every year. You know, we had it with Claypool and some of the lower-end prospects last year. And really, I think we're going to see a lot more of those options because the wide tight end has become a more prominent part of offenses as we move forward, and I think it's not a bad thing at all because really having a mismatch with size and just overall ability in that big slot type position is absolutely huge for offensive success. And I think it can be a great option for an offense if they can find the right fit. As we talk about tight ends, that's really all we got for it. So now we're going to move forward to the offensive tackle spot. We're going to start out at number five. And that's Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, a mean streak blocker, 
one that is likely going to be a lock for day one based on all draft rumors we've been hearing. Not sure if that means Chicago, Tennessee, potentially earlier, but Tevin Jenkins is going to be one of the most intriguing players in this class. I compared him to Leo Collins, one of the more impressive mean streak type blockers in the league. He's an incredible run blocker. He has phenomenal athleticism. And really the issue for him is how is he going to handle the overall length and just handling speed and body control for himself is going to be crucial as well. I think, you know, you look at what he did over his course at Oklahoma State and this jump from last year to this year was absolutely intriguing. And from what we've heard, a lot of scouts are looking for guys that maybe had huge jumps in their final year because that shows a great work ethic. And I'm not sure how much that's going to play into the draft stock itself, but I think Tevin Jenkins is a perfect example of someone that really took that next step, and it was absolutely huge for him. Tevin Jenkins, definitely a great get. This tackle class is loaded. Even if we're listing the top five, there are probably 15 that are worth checking out because they could absolutely become solid contributors for your offensive line someday. At offensive tackle four, Liam Eichenberg. Eichenberg was sitting at my offensive tackle three spot for so long, and they came into the pro day a little short-limbed. He still overcomes it. He has great technique, great punch and grip strength, and he's well-rounded as a tackle in terms of pass blocking and run blocking ability. But the length is going to be a question mark, and he may have to move inside the guard. I look at the overall athleticism he has. It's not necessarily the greatest. I think that He's definitely limited in terms of what he can do in terms of foot speed, in terms of depth to drop, but he plays very patiently and I really love his game. I think that he is one of the safer prospects in this class. I compared him to Justin Pugh, another tackle that had a little bit of issues in terms of length and in turn, it ended up with him playing guard at the NFL level. I don't know what's going to happen to Eichenberg. I think he's shown enough as a tackle to where you let him play the spot until he's shown otherwise, but I do understand if a team is looking for an offensive guard and there's Liam Eichenberg right there on the board, it's definitely intriguing to take that even if he may want to play tackle or he may have shown ability to play tackle because really the talent to play guard is is still very much there. And I look at what his draft range is. I think he's going to be a day one, maybe day two guy. Early second round would be my prediction. I look at teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars where they have ta- where they have tackles and guards that both could be easily replaced, and Liam Eikenberg could absolutely fill in very well in that position. And then, you know, really just overall, I think it's important to state that him being offensive tackle four is more just a testament to how good this class is because my offensive tackle three, my offensive tackle two, my offensive tackle one, I expect them all to be very good starting tackles in the NFL, and Eikenberg I expect to be a very successful lineman as well. And moving on to offensive tackle number three, we got Dylan Radins out of North Dakota State. I think that he may have the least success out the gates in terms of this top five because he's moving from FCS level and he also has some weight concerns. At 6'6", 300 pounds, 23 years old, I think, or I don't think he's 23. I think that's actually Eichenberg's birthday. So sorry about that. But 6'6", 300 pounds, I think there's going to be some issues in terms of play strength and getting you know acclimated to the NFL level, but he has excellent foot speed. I love the way he gets around the field. He can be a move blocker. He can drop into his pass blocks extremely well. He keeps pace and mirrors edge rushers extremely well, 
I think the issue is he may not have the overall control at the line to really dominate and really force back defenders. And that could be a concern, you know, run blocking and physicality is still something that needs to be developed. But for me, when I watch Dylan Radins, I see superstar traits. And I think that any team that is getting him with their first round pick or second round pick is getting an absolute steal because I think he's going to be a stud offensive tackle. At offensive tackle two, I got Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech. You look at what he offers as an offensive lineman, and really it's great power, great short area quickness, and a wonderful anchor. There's questions about his lateral quickness. He moves downfield well. There's some highlight plays of him moving downfield as a run blocker, but his overall ability to shift side to side may be a little bit in question. He has inconsistent hands and overall just needs to fix up his technique a little bit, plays a little tall, but Derisaw is a consistent mauler at the left tackle spot, whether you want to play him on the left or right side, I think he's going to be a stud. There's been rumors that the Las Vegas Raiders are all in on this guy, and I could very much see it. I compared him to Jake Matthews, someone who maybe isn't the flashiest offensive tackle, but is very talented. 6'5", 322 pounds. Darisaw, I think, is going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. And if you're looking for an offensive tackle in the first round, there's not much better you can do than Darisaw in my mind. And at number one, no shakeup here. Panay Sewell, 6'5", 331 pounds. Dominated college football at 19 years young. Now, he had a year of opting out, but he is still very much a dominant offensive tackle. He's going to run things in the NFL. He's going to be a franchise cornerstone at left tackle. There's talks about maturity. There's talks about, you know, oh, does he get overextended? Are his pass sets a little weird? Yes, there's some issues. I'm not saying that he's just this perfect prospect, but I'm saying that if you are a competent coach, you can make this guy into an absolute stud, and that is what they should be able to do with Penai Sewell. If I'm Miami at six, assuming Sewell's there, I absolutely take him because you can get that young offensive line and really take it to that next level. Overall, though, Sewell is a very talented player, a very talented tackle, and if you are looking for someone to change around your offensive line and the fortunes that you are currently working with at the position. You know, if you're struggling to find protection for your young QB, Sewell will take your line to another level and it is absolutely vital to do that. Someone like Sewell at, you know, 21 years old, still very young, still can be even better than he already is, has to be extremely intriguing to anyone in the NFL. So the fact that his stock has kind of been wavering in terms of what we've been talking about in terms of, you know, maybe it's prospect fatigue or just fake rumors to hopefully get him to slip a little bit. I, I just don't buy it. I think Sewell has way too much in terms of athletic profile, in terms of size, and in terms of ability on tape that he will continue to be a top pick. And if he gets past seven, I will be shocked. Nick, obviously this offensive tackle class is tremendously deep. So much talent all over, even past this top five that I have listed. What are your thoughts on this tackle class? And really, if you have a main takeaway, what what are what is it? I'm shocked that Rashawn Slater is not in your top five. I mean, wow, this guy's going in the first round, I think. But how many oh, how many definitely will? I just, you know, I think I, I just prefer the other tackles. I don't even dislike Slater, 
but I do think that there are more issues in his tape than with these top with these top five that I've listed here. I, as a Giants fan, want to see the Giants take Slater or Darisaw because I think they address a lot of issues. So <clears throat> offensive line, if you could fix that. Because the problem with Dan Jones is, is if he gets hit when he's running around and he's out, he's out for games and then you're going to Mike Lennon, that's not ideal. Uh, Sewell here is going to be tremendous, whether he somehow drops to the Dolphins or he's going to be there with the Bengals. 20 starts in college in the Pac-12. <laughs> I mean, they're in the shotgun, but zero sacks allowed, Michael. I mean, that is just insane. He's young, though, so there could be some adjustment period, but this is probably the top offensive tackle prospect coming into the NFL in quite some time, which is, is interesting. Now, Eichenberg, I think, is awesome as well. Uh, and he is, you know, Notre Dame guy, so <laughs> the Notre Dame linemen always seem to be awesome and you know, you follow that Quentin Nelson method there. A lot of lot of good offensive tackles in this, in this draft, like you mentioned. So we're going to see a bunch of them going off the board real quick in the first and second round. And we'll just have to see, you know, who, who ends up where. And it, a lot of it's going to be position-wise. But Sewell, I think he's going to be – I mean, he's, he's going to, you know, he'll come in. He could, be, he could be 15 years in the league, a couple all-pros, pro ball – Definitely a, a cornerstone in a franchise, and it's definitely going to be a difference maker, most likely with the Bengals. And I think Joe Burrow is going to definitely like having the big guy in front of him. Yeah, I think it's going to be Jamar Chase that is the pick for the Bengals, but I think Sewell is going to be that pick right after that for Miami. Nick, I want to ask you, though, the offensive tackle position is obviously one that maybe doesn't get enough credit, but also is probably one of the more difficult in the NFL do you get worried about some of these guys having a year off of football and having to come back into that NFL level? Or do you think it's something that could be shaken off, you know, with a, with a training camp process that will likely help them get through it? Yeah. We got to see how this training camp works out this year. We, there's so many unknowns. Like I mentioned earlier, they're, they're, the teams are being forced to kind of cancel the, the OTAs because the players, they don't want to be there using COVID as an excuse. So the, the training camp is going to be crucial here. Uh, and and we'll see what happens with the preseason, which is going to be very different. I'm wondering if these guys are going to hold up here come January when they're playing week 16 and week 17 and then going into the playoffs because it's a lot of games, it's a lot of week. It's a big grind, huge commitment. and it's, it's, it's going to be tough. It's a tough position. Absolutely. And, you know, if I were to look at some of these other guys in this class, I feel like it's important to give shout-outs to some of the players that I still very much am intrigued by at the offensive tackle spot. You know, Walker Little comes in at offensive tackle six for me. Rashawn Slater at number seven. Dante Smith out of East Carolina comes in at offensive tackle eight. Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, who could be a surprise first rounder in this class, comes in at offensive tackle nine. Alex Leatherwood, who this may seem a little disrespectful at his spot, but I, I still like, is at offensive tackle 10. And then, you know, there's plenty of other options as well. Stone Forsythe, James Hudson, Sam Cosme, you know, Josh 
uh, or Jalen Mayfield, Cole Van Lannan. There's plenty of guys, even a large Jackson in the mid rounds has plenty of intrigue that should be able to really stand out to teams. And hopefully if you're a team that's in need of offensive tackle talent or even offensive guard talent, you can find it in this class. Yeah, I really like Samuel Cosme. I think he's going to be tremendous. And, you know, every, so many people are not naming, you know, Walker Little. You, you did mention Alex Leatherwood, but Dylan Rad, Radunes. I mean, as you mentioned before, it's just – it's a very talented class here for offensive tackles. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the big question with all these offensive tackles is are any of them going to have to kick inside? And – one of the guys that really played tackle all year but kicked inside, Elijah Vera Tucker, we're going to talk about soon. But with that, let's dive in to the interior offensive line prospects, and we'll look at the top five. And at number five, we got Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. In terms of polling blockers, guys that absolutely get everything done on tape, really move outside of the line and can – set up the run incredibly well. You're talking about Creed Humphrey. He is incredible at doing so. You look at some of the schemes that are looking to bring that in, you know, maybe Minnesota that's already mastered that, or maybe somewhere like Denver where their GM just arrived, or maybe somewhere like Cleveland where maybe they aren't planning on paying Wyatt Teller after this year and they want to have someone that can step in. Guys like Creed Humphrey are going to be intriguing all the way around. I wouldn't be surprised at this guy being a first-round pick. I expect him to be a day-two pick. Some of my issues on his tape has to be, you know, he's a bit heavy in terms of, well, a bit light, I guess, because he plays all with his upper body. He entirely relies on his arms, and I think it kind of leads to some bad blocks at times. And while he didn't have to pay for it at the Big 12 level, I do think that there are issues that continually show on tape I think I want to see better out of him in terms of physicality because right now it's a lot of nimble play. It worked. I'm not saying that it doesn't work at all or that he's going to fail. I just think that there are certainly things that need to be improved on. As far as comparisons go, I look at a guy like Ben Jones out of Tennessee, and I think that this is someone that really could be a potential stud for their team if he's developed correctly, but I do think that in terms of stepping in right away, there could be some early growing pains because let's face it, a lot of these offensive linemen have those issues right away that maybe aren't as successful as they were expected to be. And if you aren't landing in a spot that is comfortable at developing offensive line, we talked about it with Chris just the other day, just the other day on the QB position, offensive line is just as important in terms of landing spot and getting with the coach that is going to really help put you in the best situation possible and Creed Humphrey I think is one that while I really like his game could very easily have his issues as well Nick do you have thoughts on uh, Creed Humphrey it's going to be interesting to say uh, he's, he's intriguing that's for sure he's he's athletic uh, but you know there is there are some flags in the sense when I think of uh, Oklahoma offensive line sometimes just because they're 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 quarterbacks i mean look at the guys this guy's played with really <laughs> he played with three three heisman co- contenders and two winners so you have mayfield uh murray 
maybe he missed midfield first season, but Murray uh, and then Jalen Hurts. And these guys move around well. So sometimes the the sack total, really you can't read into that too much here, that he lost zero sacks just because the, those quarterbacks are very athletically gifted and can move around very well. Uh, and overall, the the Big 12, the defensive linemen that are going up against the last maybe year or two haven't been really that strong. I mean, obviously, there's some great talent. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Definitely an intriguing guy. Absolutely. And, you know, if I had to really pick a spot for him, I think one that has to be intriguing is the idea of him in Green Bay replacing uh, Corey Lindsley, who has left after hitting the market, going to the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think one of the biggest things that would have to happen for that to work out is if the Green Bay Packers are willing to make that pick. A lot of people are saying that they need to go with, you know, wide receiver. But I think that there is plenty that could happen in terms of other spots that really could help this guy find success. And in Green Bay, you know, you're you're talking about a team that's contending every year, but they haven't been able to get it done recently. Could you see Creed Humphrey pushing that needle for them? No, I think I think Green Bay needs to go go on the defensive side of things or get a, a skilled a skill set player. You know, I've said it before on the show, ever since Aaron Rodgers has become the starting quarterback for the Packers, they've never drafted a tight end wide receiver or running or uh, running back in the first round. So that doesn't really make Aaron Rodgers the the host of Jeopardy too happy. Maybe he's going to end up saying, oh, maybe I'll just play Je- I'll just host Jeopardy. I'm going to make a lot more money anyway. Uh, so I'll keep on that. But the Packers, they're right there. So they just need to get over that, that hump. I mean, they've been in the, the championship game the last two years. I don't see any reason why they can't be back in the NFC championship game moving forward here. And to me, I think they need to, they need to just address those, those issues, which would be most likely on the defensive side of the ball, or maybe adding another receiver to go with Adams. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the interior offensive line. This is just number five. Now we move on to number four, probably one of the most intriguing stories of the draft season, Trey Smith. Uh, Not sure what happened to that yellow background for the pro comp. Just ignore that if you're watching on stream here. But Trey Smith out of Tennessee, probably one of the easiest guys to root for because there's just so much there in terms of adversity that he has overcome, dealt with blood clots, had to miss so much time. It came back. And really, that's the big issue. What are going to happen with his medicals? I think that without the medicals, he would be viewed as a first-round talent because he offers so much. But I think also the time missed because of blood clots has hurt his development, and it's something that will probably be needed at the NFL level as well. Someone's going to bring him in and have to really set him down and work with him and get him to that next level. I look at a team maybe like Tampa Bay where they have – everyone coming back. They are not in need of an immediate starter. And could they bring in Trey Smith maybe in round two and develop him into that right guard of the future? He's athletic. 
He's got an incredible mean streak and violent punch, and he's got a tremendous anchor. There's issues in terms of technique and lunging, and we talked about that a little bit, but I really do think day two, if you're looking for an offensive guard, this is someone that you pick. Everyone's saying, okay, now we don't know, but then it pans out and you're looking like a genius for it. Trey Smith is an absolutely phenomenal prospect, and I'm a huge fan. I compared him to Wyatt Teller because Wyatt Teller has that aggressiveness and that wrestling style background that I think kind of adds to his mean streak as well. And I think Trey Smith takes up a lot of similar qualities and they're very similar athletically and size wise as well. If you look at what Trey Smith can become, I think there's plenty to be intrigued by. And I think the NFL will feel similarly assuming that his medicals come through with a clean bill of health. At interior offensive lineman, number three, we got Josh Myers out of Ohio State. 21 starts over his career. Two sacks allowed this last year, but really he's been a dominant force on the inside. I compared him to Cody Whitehair because really I think if you need Josh Myers to play guard, he's going to be able to do that extremely well. But if you need him to play center, he's going to do that as well. Cody Whitehair can rotate between the two spots very easily. Nice size frame comparison, and I think – Really, Josh Myers is one of the more underrated players in this class. Talked about as a day two type guy looking in that round three range. And I think if you're looking for a starting center without trying to invest the capital in it, Josh Myers is a great get. He's got excellent positioning in his blocks. He has a wonderful power speed balance in his blocking ability. And I think he has a really good punch. Now, there's some issues in terms of he misses at the second level at times. And he needs to do a better job of keeping defenders outside of his chest. But really, as long as he can keep up the consistency, then he is going to be an absolute great get in that third round. And if you're looking for offensive linemen, especially if you have huge needs elsewhere, you know, maybe like Cincinnati, where they're probably going to go Jamar Chase right away, if they're looking to add a tackle in the second round and then they want another interior offensive lineman in the third, Josh Myers is the perfect fit for that. Played center all his time at Ohio State, but really I truly believe that he could be a great guard as well, projects well for it. And if you are looking for someone to watch as a fan, Josh Myers is a very fun guy to check out as well. At interior offensive lineman number two, Landon Dickerson. And if you've been following any of the major offseason events, then you probably know Landon Dickerson because he has been a character in all of them obviously out right now with the torn ACL, but he has been absolutely fun to watch. 6'6", 333 pounds. We don't see centers this size that play as well as Landon Dickerson does. That's why I had to compare him to Kaleki Osmele, an offensive guard, a huge frame, ability to handle nose tackles. If you are in a power blocking scheme, Landon Dickerson is an is a prayer, is an answer to all your prayers, really, because he is a phenomenal center. The injury is going to be an is going to be an issue. He has multiple torn ACLs. You know, could he get better? Of course, but I think his size, reaction speed for his size, and overall control at the offensive line is just phenomenal. And if you are trying to find a center in this class, there's no one better than Landon Dickerson. And for me, that's by a wide margin. And you know, we've seen guys like on Wenu last year or Trent Brown a few years ago that just win on sheer size. And if you're looking at Landon Dickerson, who's going to outpower him? No one. He's going to be an absolute beast in the NFL. 
He's someone that if I had to bet on someone, knowing that they'd be healthy, just bet on overall talent, he would be someone that I would very easily put money on to be successful in the NFL. At interior offensive line, number one, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. We talked about him a little bit. He played tackle for the Trojans, and he did it very well. There were some concerns about some of his game. He may not have the length to really be a superstar tackle, but I think he is going to be a superstar guard. Versatile to really play all over the offensive line. He's quick. He offers a great anchor. Really the issue for me is when the play breaks down, he seems to not have a lot of response in terms of keeping up his blocks. You can only block for so long, so I'm not going to really harsh him down for that. But I do think that there are some issues in that regard. I would like to see a little bit more physicality, turn some more blocks, maybe keep defenders out of his chest a little bit. But overall, Vera Tucker has everything you could want in an athletic offensive lineman. And that's why I gave him the comparison of Zach Martin. You know, similar size profiles, similar athleticism, similar ability. And there's just so much to be intrigued by with Vera Tucker that I think he is someone that's going to be talked about as soon as 11 in this draft and maybe even earlier. I think that if you're looking for an interior offensive lineman in this class, you may be willing to spend the pick and value for a guy like Vera Tucker in the first round rather than waiting and seeing what you can get in that second and third round because Vera Tucker at the guard position that already, you know, isn't as deep as you may want. It's definitely, you know, a a great caliber talent that you're getting with Vera Tucker. Nick, obviously you have your offensive or interior offensive line rankings that we'll be sharing soon, but what are your thoughts on this interior offensive line class and your overall takeaways from the class? I think it's not that very strong of an interior line class. Zach Martin's some big praise here for Vera Tucker. So that's pretty, pretty wild right there. If you ask me, uh, well, you know, that's, you know, that's your favorite opinion that big praise. I know you, I know you love Dickerson. You want to see him go to the Steelers, replace Pouncey. We'll see what happens there. But overall just wasn't, wasn't in love with this, this interior offensive line class and, I did struggle trying to put together a list for, for this position. And, you know, now that you mention it, let's go ahead and bring up your list. Sorry for the uh, maybe bland graphics compared to usual. Not the uh, easiest night in terms of getting graphics done. I was up till 930 last night. So, Nick, your tight ends, we'll talk about that first. Kyle Pitts at one, Firmuth at two, Revan Jordan at three, Hunter Long at four, and Tommy Tremble at five. Give me a little bit of your thoughts on each guy in your tight end top five. I just, you know, says these are the guys that I felt were the best at uh, their position, kind of, you know, who was going to give the best chance to have a good career. Uh, so Kyle Pitts, we know that he's great. You know, he's the top guy right there. A, a fair amount, uh, you know, pronounce that wrong, has been great. Uh, we talked Brian Jordan before. I said I, you know, I like Hunter Long. Uh, going back to Will Blackman's comment here, uh, and Tommy Trumbull had a good career as well. Now, Will Blackman says this for you, Michael. Pitt's player comp was Plaxico Barris, Matt Bowen, which was interesting. Interesting to have a player comp for a tight end to be a wide receiver. Yeah, and I think that there's definitely some 
similarities there. You know, you look at the older school big wide receivers, and they do a lot of the same things as these move wide receivers now because that's kind of how the game has changed. And for Kyle Pitts, you know, there's not a lot of tight ends out there that are easy to compare him to. A lot of people want to throw out the Darren Waller comparison, and I just I don't think that they're the same player. I do think that they are going to have similar success because they are very athletic tight ends, but I think it's a little bit lazy to kind of just say, oh, Pitts is Waller, Waller is Pitts, because, you know, they're big athletic tight ends that are almost wide receivers. But I do think that a guy like Plexico Burris, where maybe he wasn't seen as this tight end, but at the time he was this physical, big-framed wide receiver, is going to have similar types of plays, types of play style to a Kyle Pitts. And, you know, we're talking about Kyle Pitts right now. I just want to mention this idea that I've been kind of thinking on a little bit. The Baltimore Ravens would absolutely love to have a wide receiver, tight end type that can really block on the outside, on the inside, whatever. And they have Orlando Brown, who is demanding this trade. If they can somehow swap picks in the first round with the Carolina Panthers for Orlando Brown, and the Baltimore Ravens can bring in Kyle Pitts and have a Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, Sammy Watkins, and Marquise Brown offense, then Lamar Jackson is going to be set up for a tremendous season, and that would be absolutely phenomenal to watch. A lot of weapons there for for Jackson. Definitely, and I think that's one of the big things that Baltimore kind of took notice of was that the offense wasn't producing as well at the wideout spot. Mark Andrews, obviously a great tight end, but they need to get some weapons in that wide receiver room. Kyle Pitts can stretch out wide if you need him to. They can go two tight end set, three tight end set as much as they want. I really love what J.K. Dobbins has done in his rookie year, and I think he's going to be in for a huge second season. I don't know. I, I really like the Baltimore Ravens, and I think the potential with a possible Orlando Brown trade could be dangerous. Now we move on to the offensive tackle spot where the Ravens may also have to pick someone to replace Orlando Brown. Nick, talk us through your top 10 and just give us a few thoughts on some of the guys. Well, I mean, you mentioned a lot of these guys. So, you know, when I talked about them pretty, pretty in depth. Uh, me, I, you know, I like Slater. He's not in, he's not in your, uh, your top five. He's going to go pretty quickly off the board. Uh, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the guys on my list that you didn't have on yours, such as Little uh, and Slater. Yeah, so Walker Little is someone that I am extremely intrigued by. I have him at offensive tackle six. He's someone that was hyped as a first-round prospect, and really at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of his tape. But then he came out in 2019, and the only game that he got to play, he showed a lot of growth. It's a lot of projection for him. You know, has he really developed, or was it just a good game? Will he be a little bit rough coming out of all the injuries and the opt-out? I really wish he played this season, but I get it. You know, with the pandemic going on, I'm not going to fault anyone for opting out. But Walker Little is someone that is extremely intriguing in this class. If you are a team that needs offensive tackle, needs a, you know, move blocking type guy, athletic more so than power, and you can't really afford to spend that to spend that capital in the first round because you're looking to address other positions, then taking a risk on a guy like Walker Little in round three, maybe late round two, would be absolutely worth it in my opinion, and I think that there's plenty of intrigue there. Uh, next up on the list, Alex Leatherwood. You know, I think this is someone that's going to be a top 16 pick. 
I don't want my rankings to be construed as a predictive type ranking. It's just more my opinion on the players. Guys like Leatherwood, guys like Slater, they're definitely going to be going earlier than I value them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to find success. Leatherwood has vines for arms, extreme arm length, and really just overall frame is going to be enticing. He had some issues. I think he got overwhelmed by power rushers. I think he had some issues trying to stop some of the speed rushers, but there was consistency in his play at times that really showed promise. And I think with these athletic offense tackles like Sam Cosme, Alex Leatherwood, maybe they weren't as great on tape as they will become in the NFL because NFL coaching really has been phenomenal with offensive linemen. And it really depends on landing spot. You look at a guy like Garrett Bowles who out the gates had huge struggles And then this last year just turned into one of the best tackles in the NFL. And it's because of the great offensive line coach that they have there in Denver. Uh, I believe it's Munchak. And really, there's just so many examples of that to where, you know, if Cosme lands somewhere where he can really be turned into this offensive tackle, if Leatherwood lands somewhere, you know, maybe even in Las Vegas where Tom Cable has done a phenomenal job, then these guys I think are going to find success and are going to be very successful in terms of production and overall caliber of their career at number two, you know, Rashawn Slater, a guy that I still like, I think he's probably better projected as a guard. And I think he will end up there eventually in the NFL. But I think right now, while he's shown the ability to play tackle, you should let him try to play that position. And, you know, I think my biggest issue for him is just, there's so many times where, I didn't feel like he won his matchup rather than just sort of contained it enough. And I think that's probably a weak spot for me. I had the same issue with Tristan Wirfs, and then he just made me look like a fool. So maybe Rashawn Slater is going to do the same thing. But I think that, you know, overall grip strength was an issue. He didn't really hold on to his blocks as well as I would have liked. His power wasn't there like I talked about already. And just the frame issues, you know, 304 pounds, 6'4". He's a little bit undersized, and I think either he needs to add a little bit of weight or move into offensive guard and really kind of anchor down there where I think he could find success as a move blocking guard. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, interior offensive lineman, I'm a big fan of Tommy Kramer. He did not crack the top five, and I guess we'll end with him. What do you, what do you think about his game here? Yeah, so I actually haven't watched a bunch of Tommy Kramer as much as I really – probably should have just because I've watched a bunch of the Notre Dame guys, you know, Aaron Banks, uh, Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey, all of these guys, and they're all impressive, but I never really paid attention to Tommy Kramer as much. So I don't have a bunch of thoughts on him. You having him at number two is making me very intrigued though. So I'm going to have to go back and make sure that I get a profile cranked out (laughs) on him. Uh, But really, you know, not a lot of thoughts right now. So I don't want to just kind of speak out of my butt and just make false claims. But I do know that Notre Dame has a great history of turning out very good offensive linemen. Right. And if they can continue that with Tommy Kramer, with already guys like Robert Hainsey, who will probably be a good guard in the league, Aaron Banks, who I really like, you know, Liam Eikenberg, then, then it's a huge class for the Notre Dame University to really become offensive line U officially and probably close out Wisconsin and Iowa from the conversation. There you have it, Michael. Great job today getting all these rankings in. I mean, I don't know how you pull it together to do all these really in-depth graphics. It was an impressive job. And 
you know, everybody loves your, your in-depth analysis here. And you know, you're two weeks away now from we'll be on here talking about what happened on night one of the draft. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, I don't know. There's there's not much to say. The draft is definitely coming closer. All I'll say to, to end things is just make sure that you're really trying to find out as best you can. Look at the writing on the wall. Look at some things that maybe are a little bit of a facade to make sure that the team is built better. You know, it's a common rumor right now that I guess we'll talk about before we log off is the Falcons, you know. A lot of it is, oh, Arthur Smith doesn't want a QB because he thinks Matt Ryan's going to be great. Terry Fontenot wants a QB because he thinks, even though Matt Ryan's good, that they could easily compete, right? you know, long-term. Well, if you're a head coach and you are probably going to have Matt Ryan for two years, you aren't wanting him to be known as, oh, yeah, I want to replace you. So I think that that's – the writing on the wall there tells me that it's more of a facade that Arthur Smith is just getting the – the good guy type look so that Matt Ryan can still play under him for two seasons. And even though I think Matt Ryan would handle being a veteran over a rookie QB very well, I do think that it kind of indicates maybe Arthur Smith wants to seem all in on Matt Ryan so that there's no issues at all. Whereas we look at, you know, up in green Bay just last year, the Packers draft QB and Aaron Rodgers. Well, he didn't necessarily state it and he handled it well, especially right. a great season. He didn't like the move. It's very true. Right, Packers, their first two picks, they didn't even see the field last year. So maybe hopefully they do a better job this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. We'll see what the Packers do. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of surprise picks. I've heard it's going to be absolutely chaos. And, you know, I look forward to it. Let's let's see all the crazy picks fly in. You know, let's see some random guy go number 20 or something. How would you feel if Mac Jones goes third? I don't know. I, it, I, I've said it before. It's more selfish than it is a bad pick. I think it's an egotistical move on Shanahan if he moved up to number three when, you know, he probably could have been at number five, number six, whatever. I don't think he necessarily had to move up as far as he did. And I think it's, it's definitely possible. You know, Schefter said it's going to be Max, so I'm trusting Schefter, who knows a lot more than someone like me who's just sitting at home. So, if it's going to be Mac, he's probably going to find success. He's probably going to be a very good quarterback. But at the same time, I think there's more upside with a player like Justin Fields or Trey Lance with the third pick. That's all we got for you on Destination Draft Day. Thank you to everyone in the comment section. And thank you to LandryFootball.com for the platform. We'll see you guys on Monday where we talk about defensive tackles, edge rushers, and linebackers. Have a good weekend, guys. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.